This is the Bible in one year, day 158, Trials and Temptations. John Wimber, the American pastor and pioneer of the Vineyard Movement, had a huge influence on the church around the world. He died at the age of 63. Life had often been extremely difficult for him. He'd been subject to an outrageous amount of criticism. I remember him once saying to me, Notoriety is fun for a short time, but after that, it's just hassle. But perhaps what broke his heart more than anything was the fact that three of the men who were closest to him, whom he loved and treated as his sons, all fell into temptation and moral failure. God used John Wimber in extraordinary ways, but he and his team faced many trials and temptations. This is how life is, and the Bible is not at all naive about it. Usually as we emerge from one battle, there's another one around the corner. This is the challenge of life. Psalm 71 In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, rescue me and deliver me. Turn your ear to me and save me. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of those who are evil and cruel. For you have been my hope, Sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. I have become a sign to many. You are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. Take confidence in the Lord. This psalm is full of indications of difficulty and opposition. Yet through it all, the writer says, From my birth I've relied on you. In the psalm, we see three key aspects of what that reliance on God involves. First, prayer. Here is a prayer that you can pray. I run for dear life to God. Get me out of this mess. Second, patience. Once you cried out for help, and cast your burdens on the Lord, the next step is to hope in Him with confidence. You keep me going when times are tough. I've hung on you. Third praise. You can praise God before, during, and after battles you face. I'll never run out of praise. Lord, thank you that I can rely on you as I look to the future and the battles ahead. New Testament, Acts 4. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about five thousand the next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today, 
for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame at a being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them, because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over forty years old. Take courage from being with Jesus. Authentic Christianity is bound to lead to opposition and trials of one sort or another. Here the disciples have been put in jail and literally on trial. Effectively they were charged with the crime of being Christians, although they didn't go by that name at the time. There's not been a single period in church history when Christians have not been tried for this offence somewhere in the world. It was not disputed that the man had been healed. In the Gospels, it is Jesus who does the miracles. In Acts, ordinary people do miracles in his name. When asked, by what power or what name did you do this? Filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter replied, It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Today you can pray in this same powerful way. Peter had the audacity to tell his judges that they were guilty of crucifying the Saviour of the world. They had rejected and crucified Jesus. Peter had been frightened to admit to a servant girl that he even knew Jesus. Now he's a changed person. He publicly proclaims Jesus and the resurrection in the court where Jesus was tried and 500 yards from where he was crucified. The key was that Peter had encountered the risen Jesus and was filled with the Holy Spirit. He now knew what Jesus had come to do, and through the Holy Spirit, Jesus was with him and helping him. Peter continues, Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. It's not surprising that they couldn't take their eyes off them. Peter and John standing there so confident, so sure of themselves, 
their fascination deepened when they realized these two were laymen with no training in scripture or formal education. They recognized them as companions of Jesus. Peter and John may not have had much formal education, but they'd been to school with Jesus. They were his disciples. They'd been to the college of God's word. And now they were studying at the University of the Holy Spirit. Many of the people used greatly by God have had little formal education. Peter and John were threatened and told not to speak about Jesus, but they replied, We can't help speaking about what we've seen and heard. As they faced their judges, they were hugely helped by the fact that everyone could see what an amazing miracle had taken place. The 40-year-old healed man was standing there as living testimony to the power of Jesus. Lord, fill me with your Spirit and give me the same courage that Peter and John had so that I can go on proclaiming Jesus, whatever the cost and whatever the opposition. May we see outstanding miracles like those you performed through your first followers. Old Testament, 2 Samuel 11 and 12 In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman washing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants, and did not go down to his house. David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, Haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, Stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it he wrote, Put Uriah out in front, 
where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so that he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Joab sent David a full account of the battle. He instructed the messenger, When you have finished giving the king this account of the battle, the king's anger may flare up, and he may ask you, Why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you know they would shoot arrows from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, son of Jirabisheth? Didn't a woman drop an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes? Why did you get so close to the wall? If he asks you this, then say to him, Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. The messenger set out, and when he arrived he told David everything Joab had sent him to say. The messenger said to David, The men overpowered us and came out against us in the open, but we drove them back to the entrance of the city gate. Then the archers shot arrows at your servants from the wall, and some of the king's men died. Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. David told the messenger, Say this to Joab, Don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as another. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. 2 Samuel chapter 12 The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveller came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveller who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. 
Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had borne to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, while the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How can we now tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves, and he realized that the child was dead. Is the child dead? he asked. Yes, they replied. He is dead. Then David got up from the ground. After he had washed, put on lotions and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request they served him food, and he ate. His attendants asked him, Why are you acting in this way? While the child was alive you fasted and wept, but now that the child is dead you get up and eat. He answered, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, Who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead... Why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her and made love to her. She gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. The Lord loved him, and because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah. Meanwhile, Joab fought against Rabbah of the Ammonites and captured the royal citadel. Joab then sent messengers to David, saying, I have fought against Rabbah and taken its water supply. Now muster the rest of the troops and besiege the city and capture it. Otherwise I shall take the city, and it will be named after me. So David mustered the entire army and went to Rabbah, and attacked and captured it. David took the crown from their king's head, and it was placed on his own head. It weighed a talent of gold, and it was set with precious stones. David took a great quantity of plunder from the city, and brought out the people who were there, consigning them to labor with saws and with iron picks and axes, and he made them work at brickmaking. David did this to all the Ammonite towns. Then he and his entire army returned to Jerusalem. Take care to please God. 
In contemporary culture, the words "You're the man" might be words of admiration, but these are among the most haunting words in the whole Bible. David had been found out; he'd been tempted and fallen into sin. He did it in secret and thought he'd got away with it, but God sees everything. In one of the supreme understatements of the Bible, we're told the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Where did it all go wrong? The point is often made that David's first mistake was to remain in Jerusalem. If he'd been out there fighting the battle with his people, he would have been less prone to temptation than sitting at home with rather too little to do. John Wimber often used to say, "It's hard to sit still and be good." We're much less likely to fall into temptation when we're fully occupied and in the right place. David gradually slipped. He saw a stunningly beautiful woman bathing. There was no sin yet, only temptation. However, he must have given in to lustful, adulterous thoughts, because he made a plan, sent for her to sleep with him, and sinned greatly. Although by the standards of his day, it was nothing compared to what other kings would have done. He then planned a cover-up that did not work. Eventually, it ended in the murder of Uriah. As often happens, sin led to more sin, and the cover-up was worse. Than the original sin, David must have felt absolutely crushed by Nathan's words. "You're the man." This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says: "I anointed you, I delivered you, I gave you, and as if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in His eyes?" Not only had David messed up badly. But he was also someone who should have known better. Amazingly, God forgave David even this enormous sin. There's no sin or failing that is too great for God to forgive, and no situation into which God's grace cannot reach. No matter what you've done, God can forgive you. The key to receiving that forgiveness is admitting our guilt and repenting of what we've done. This is the great difference between David, whom God forgave when he sinned, and Saul, whom God did not. Whereas Saul tried to justify himself, David simply admitted everything. He said, "I've sinned against the Lord." In effect, he just said, "I'm sorry." Forgiveness does not take away the consequences of our actions, though. For David, the consequences were huge. His baby son died as a result, and God warned him that because of his violent actions, the sword shall never depart from your house. The consequences of David's sin were long-lasting. Nevertheless, this was not the end for David. God did not abandon him. Although his son died, there's hope. One day they will be reunited. I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Not only that, but God gave to David another son, Solomon, and the Lord loved him. This account is a warning and an encouragement. It's a warning to us to take responsibility for our lives, to put in boundaries, to get help early, and to watch and pray that we do not fall into temptation. If you have fallen, like David, admit your sin, confess, repent, grieve if necessary, and then get on with your life, looking forward to what God has in store for you. We all mess up from time to time. God forgives, He restores, He blesses us again. Lord, guard my heart and the hearts of all Your people, that we may be faithful to You. Pepper adds. In two Samuel, chapters eleven and twelve, 
we see the story of David and Bathsheba. And what strikes me is that we can try and cover up our failings, but God sees it all. 